0: welcome to startup hacks a We global podcast we explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses i'm your host fernanda carapina and today i'm excited to welcome tanya vucetic tanya is the ceo and co-founder of blockforms blockforms is a workflow management tool for insurance brokers that simplifies the sale process with an intelligent one-to-many form completion. Tanya is a data scientist by profession with a past life in finance. She earned her MBA from the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and her Master's of Science in Computational Analytics from Georgia Tech. Welcome, Tanya. Hello,
1: thank you for having me today.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm so delighted to have you um, on the show. I, I wanted to start by asking if you could, as I normally do, um, if you could give us a little bit of a background of your history, where you grew up, um, what um, what your life was like, and, and what kind of spurred you into the data science uh, area. Uh, very interesting that you went to school in Hong Kong also.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I am originally from the, <clears throat> excuse me, San Francisco Bay Area. I uh, grew up with international parents, so I'm first generation American and um, public school kid, always interested in math and science, uh, lived in California for the majority of my life. So I've always been surrounded by the tech world. I uh, moved to LA to study economics, worked in finance, but always still had a calling to be a practitioner in uh, the math and science world. So I bridged my finance experience by pursuing an MBA at a school where the primary focus was science and technology. So quickly I found myself in Hong Kong, um, also enjoying the international experience, uh, fortifying my business acumen with a professional degree, and then learn to code, and that's kind of the language of the world uh, this day and age. So I found myself navigating the uh, sexy industry that is data science (laughs) by actually, um, I, I love this story because people think of data scientists as those with PhDs, and you had to have done 10 years of research, and there's the applied field, and there's also the research, and I exist in the applied field. So the way I got into the profession was actually by ghost coding for a friend of mine who is a statistics PhD and he didn't want to be hands-on keyboards. So I was secretly doing the work and at the end of the big engagement, he gave me the credit and I was hired and my data science career was born. Wow, that's
0: actually really interesting because I, as I think, you know, I founded a behavioral data analytics um, company that's machine learning, AI driven, and my partner is a data scientist. And I never really appreciated uh, until just now, the difference between someone in the applied field and in the research uh, field, because um, he spent like 30 years working in government, and it was all about neural network development and uh, creating models and predictive analysis, etc. And I'm presuming that's all research.
1: Absolutely. So I take those findings and use those mathematical solutions to solve businesses' problems with the Mm. data that they have handy. Interesting. And is there
0: typically two different tracks for data scientists, like the applied side and then the
1: research side, or is that pretty rare? I would say there's definitely two different tracks depending on where your interests lie. There's a huge community online that is constantly uh, reviewing each other's work and making the existing algorithms and, and larger packages better and better. Um, so while that's definitely one track and one passion and hobby, uh, many people are leveraging these tools that have been developed for them to you know, make businesses more money and streamline processes, kind of like what I've done here with Blockforms.
0: Mm hmm. And and unfortunately, our listeners um, can't appreciate this, but Tanya happens to be a beautiful woman. And I'm sure if you walk into any conference, they would not pick you for the traditional uh, data scientist.
1: No, that frequently comes up um, that I do not fit the stereotype. And thank you for the compliment. Um, <laughs> it's like a fun party trick to ask to have people guess what I do for a living. <laughs> right. Um I,
0: I wanted I wanna jump into block forms, obviously, very important to um to our discussion today, but I do wanna take a beat um because selfishly I'm actually the chairperson for women in tech for the California Technology Council. So I'm very curious about um women who work in the technology area. And I'm just curious, have you found that the field has changed and evolved and become more female friendly, or do you feel like there's still a lot more work to be done there?
1: Well, there's a lot more work to be done in terms of the number of us as technologists in the field. I will say that the natural progression based on all the work that's been done um, the past 10, 20 years is trending in the right direction. All of the universities have more women and women of color in math and sciences than ever before. So it's hard to be patient, but it's it's going in the right direction and all of the work is paying off.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great,
1: all right, so let's jump into block forms.
0: I want to understand if you could share with our listeners because it it's always uh, I think such a special moment for. Entrepreneurs and founders, you know that 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 day, that moment where they start to think about, hmm, maybe I'm going to leave my job, or maybe I'm going to continue my job but start noodling on this entrepreneurial venture, either alone or with other people. So, give us a little backstory about what was going on in your life at the time, and and how Block Forms kind of bubbled up and and became real.
1: Alrighty, so Block Forms is not my brainchild, it's my co-founder's brainchild. And he is an employee benefits broker himself. He knows the pain point of people in this profession. And he had this idea to build a closed system, which would reduce errors and the amount of time that people are interacting with forms, emailing, scanning, signing, you know, printing, whiting out whenever there's an error and redoing the whole process. Uh, And he pitched it to the company he currently, uh, still works as a broker for. And that agency is Marsh McLennan agency. And they loved it. They had their shark tank and they said, you know, our lives would be so much better if this existed. However, we're not going to build it because we don't, we're not in the business of building software. And he said, okay, well, how about I build it? And, um, they gave him written approval free and clear to go build this and one of his mutual friends introduced him to me based on our respective skill sets and we kind of formed a team of what was four people at the time uh, based on my business background and technological know-how so where I'm really important is to be able to synthesize the problem that insurance brokers have to developers and uh bringing in and we brought in a developer so we were all sitting around a coffee table the dream was sold to us by my co-founder and we got to work immediately on the product
0: and and give us a time frame was that this year or
1: last year That was October 2018. So we've been at this a while. We incorporated (laughs) March 2019. Okay, okay. Um, So
0: October 2018. Okay, so, you know, sometimes people don't realize how long it takes, you know, because there's a lot of right turns, left turns, you know, 10 feet back, 5 feet forward. So true. Right?
1: So, so true. I mean, if what we have... Our fully functioning product today does not look like what we sat and talked about on that day
0: whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So so talk to us about
1: where you're at, uh, where the product is at now and where the company has evolved to. We just finished an accelerator program based in Santa Monica called the Precelerator. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are currently in the middle of multiple pilot programs with different prospective clients. So we're in the process of collecting feedback, modifying the product, also updating the product. So what our technology specifically does is take really complicated forms. For example, the applications for employee benefits coverage. So Kaiser, Aetna, Blue Shield, and consolidates all of those forms once the individual populates the single consolidated form, we map that data back to the respective forms for submission. Um, I lost my train of thought here. Yeah, no, so, <laughs> yeah. you know,
0: so, yeah, exactly. I was actually thinking as you were talking, there's also a great airline app that allows you to put in all your information and then you can kind of purchased from a variety of different airlines all in one fell swoop uh, and really kind of synthesizes all that data, which seems like that's also huge benefit in healthcare, especially when you're like comparing health insurance plans and deals, et cetera.
1: Yes. And, and thank you. That was the perfect reminder. So where we're at right now is also updating our product constantly because new forms are coming in for the new different products that these insurance carriers are offering. So while we have Prospective customers interacting with our software. We're also continuously up, continuously updating it for feedback and the new forms. Mm-hmm.
0: And in healthcare, I'd imagine that's a full-time job.
1: Oh, it sure is. I mean, we like to say, "Oh yeah, no problem. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll do it tomorrow." But we're really up all night, like making sure the thing works <laughs> clean, right. and clear, and free without errors. You know, that's that's the name of the game. So you're in the <clears throat>
0: you're in the MVP uh, or pilot program now. It sounds like you're already working with some potential clients, getting some very valuable feedback on product market fit. Which you know the benefit it seems of your story is that your co-founder already had assessed, given his work experience in this company, that there was excellent product market fit. It was just a matter now of executing it and seeing if the product delivered on the promise. And how long do you anticipate you'll be in this
1: stage? I suspect another six months. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I intend our plan is to be revenue generating by April. So Go while ahead. we're in this phase with some customers, the cycle should mature to paid utilization of our product around the April timeframe. And are you going to be, um, is this a web application or a mobile app or? A web application, yes. Accessible by tablet, mobile phone, whatever device.
0: Well, I think it's, it sounds like it's going to be a big success. Um, and so talk to us now a little bit about um, your experience. So you have one foot in corporate America because you're still, um, based on our earlier conversations, you're still working um, in that space. And then you're also in the startup ecosystem. And given that you went through the pre-accelerator program, um, do you have just some, for listeners who maybe aren't, aren't entrepreneurs, but are kind of thinking about it, you have any kind of, Feedback on the differences and what you liked or disliked or what was challenging?
1: I think the obvious challenge is the amount of time one person has. So I'm very fortunate that my day job is flexible with respect to, I know what I need to build. I can estimate how long it's going to take me. It doesn't matter what time of day I do it other than meetings scheduled. So I have the luxury of working on whatever I need to at different times of the day. Um, When it comes to, from the perspective of an entrepreneur, I've been given very different advice. Some investors and partners love that I'm moonlighting because it brings stability to my business. And some people suggest that I downplay that fact because some investors prefer the all in that's all you do day in and day out mm-hmm. so the, yes it, it, it just you know different strokes for different folks
0: <laughs> yeah and I have to I'm going to just chime in here now and just say I personally think that it is a issue with the um, startup ecosystem that there is this stigma <clears throat> there are a couple stigmas. One is if you're a solopreneur, you're not as attractive because there's a presumption that you may not be able to work within a team structure. There's a lot of questions. Um, the other assumption is if you're not working full time and if you haven't quit your job, you're not committed. Um, they're not sure if they invest in your company that you're going to leave your day job. Um, there's a, there's a lot. And I think that for women, I will say in particular who manage a lot of different roles, uh, whether it's as mother or partner, um, you know, breadwinner, whatever it may be. It's not always easy unless you're a single woman straight out of college to just drop everything, eat ramen noodles and go live with your parents while you build out your dream. And, um, And you also don't have that kind of rich network of friends that can, you know, connect you into, um, you know, the VC world or angel world in order to accelerate the funding process. So I sometimes feel like it's really unfair to judge um, a co-founder or a founder negatively for managing it all because it's just the practicalities of life. I couldn't agree
1: more. And all of those things that you just mentioned are, are so true and it's important to find a partner that appreciates the way you're getting it done. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite frankly, if you can get it done while holding down a, a, a
1: full-time position, can you imagine what you can do when you're no longer there? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and it is 100% my intention to Pursue my business full time. It Mm -hmm. just requires funding and I'm going to be the last one to take any money out of my business in order for it to grow. So whatever it takes to keep the lights on.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I hope that that will change in the near future, especially now that there's, I think, a greater awakening to the benefits of supporting women and female founded companies. Uh, I'm hoping that there'll be more flexibility and open mindedness around this topic. So now let's talk about startup hacks. So we all have to hustle, we all have to stretch a dollar, we all have to bootstrap our companies at some point. Um And this is obviously the focus of our show. I was just wondering if there's a few pointers that you could share that you felt helped your group save time and money and even gain a competitive
1: edge that was, you know, unique to your group. Something that was unique to my group, I found, was we were brave enough to talk about what we were doing and what our intentions were early on. And even within my own personal network, um, I would communicate with friends and family and even strangers, this is what I'm building, this is what stage we're at, this is what we need. And what I often found was everyone is really excited to participate, even if it's just, you know, I know a guy or I know (laughs) a gal. Mm -hmm. And often in the beginning of pursuing something entrepreneurial, People are a little bit shy to talk about it or they don't want someone to steal their idea. And how much we've talked about it has been a a huge benefit to us because we've gotten discounts on things. Uh, We've connected with interesting mentors. So my hack would be just be open about what you're up to. It's your idea. Nobody's going to be able to build it the way that you have envisioned. And the more people you bring in there's a wider variety of the art of the possible and access to more and more resources and and saving a ton of money that way and saving time and mistakes. It's just communication. I know it's I know it's a little cliche, but it's huge <laughs> no, i I don't think it's cliche. And
0: actually, you're the first person who's actually raised this very specific hack. and, Um, You are a thousand percent correct. There is a paranoia. And I formerly worked in the entertainment business and it exists there that if you're pitching something, you don't want anybody else to have your idea because people do steal ideas. It's not like it's unfounded. But the reality is, as you stated, you gain so much more. The upside is so much greater. First of all, you're just publicly announcing your commitment to something. And that's really, I think, on a spiritual level, really powerful and starts to get the synergistic engines moving. And people want to help and they will start connecting you. And it really does accelerate your progress. So you're 100 percent correct.
1: I couldn't agree more. It's also that accountability factor like, okay, I said I'm going to do this, so now I need to follow through with it. Here I go. <laughs> yeah, it, it's exactly. Just
0: like when you decide you're going to lose weight and you say I'm going to lose 10 pounds by June, you know, it kind of forces you, puts your feet to the fire, which is why they have all these accountability groups also now to force people to put up or shut up, so to speak. Yeah, Um so that's a really great one. Is there anything else top of mind that you um, that you experienced that you thought was really helpful that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, in this day and age, we don't have the usual mechanisms accessible that we did in the past to restore ourselves. And being an entrepreneur can be hugely depleting and exhausting. So one way I used to restore myself was I traveled for work. I travel traveled for leisure. I traveled for connecting my families all over the place, um, and I can't do that anymore. So, mm-hmm. I've I've taken to reading, and I've never been one to read novels. I I reading used to be work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd only read business books or biographies. Uh, something that I thought I was getting practical. Uh, uh, Applied skills from having done the work of reading. Mm-hmm. Reading reading this year has complete novels. Has completely transformed. Um, my experience of sitting in my house. Not only am I traveling. And experiencing someone else's story. But it's made me. So much stronger at communicating. Reading other people's words. And how they tell a story. Has definitely made me better at my job. So I'm much more clear in how I communicate. And I just have so many words at more words at my disposal to sincerely convey my intentions than I ever did before, because I'm now reading as a way to restore myself.
0: <laughs> wow. You know, that's also a first on the show. And I think you're hundred percent correct and and I would also add to that especially during COVID that watching um, this is my experience watching um, series or films that are set in foreign countries I particularly right now enjoy so much more than ever before because you can't go there so watching something that's shot on the streets of France or shot in um, colombia or shot in mexico is really fun and kind of a escapism television and i find it pers- personally relaxing because you're stuck in a home uh 24 7
1: absolutely it's like food for the soul.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. i've never
1: needed it more than ever
0: yeah absolutely so we are um starting to um Wind down. We're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you uh, one last question. Um, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to an entrepreneur or someone who's thinking about pursuing um, an entrepreneur, uh, an entrepreneurial opportunity, who's listening to us today, what would be the one piece of advice you wish someone had given you when you started out that um, could really have helped you?
1: Don't take any shortcuts in the beginning. Uh, I, I think my partners and I fell into an obvious trap um, when scoping out the product. Like, oh well, practically speaking, no one ever fills out that part of the form, so we're going to just skip that part of the form in development, which ended up being so painful for us because we in intend and are spectacular at mapping these forms entirely and should somebody want to populate a portion of the form that isn't typically populated we need to be able to offer that service so we tried to cut some corners in the beginning and it really really (laughs) (laughs) make sure you you another i'm going to sneak in one more piece of advice um test your product the way an actual user will use it so something that we ran into was that we know the product like the back of our hands so um we can go through the whole process so quickly and that's not how a user would realistically interact with our software So there were some bugs that we didn't catch that once we got in front of a client, small annoying things like we're dealing with sensitive data. So we have um, authentication certificates for security purposes and timeouts and things like that. Somebody who was using it was sitting on a particular page for five minutes, got timed out of the screen and lost all of their inputs. Whereas Mm -hmm. when we test it, we just blow through it. So make sure you test your product as if a user were realistically using it. So that's my other piece of advice.
0: That's actually a really good piece of advice. Um, All right. Well, we are out of time, Tanya, and it was really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your whole story. We really appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners did as well. If they're they're interested in learning more about your company, is there a website that they can go to? Yes, blockforms.co. Great. Okay. Well, best of luck. Thank you for joining Startup Hack. Tune in next week for more interviews. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that can save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. See you next week.